Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of Mechilzadek Chronicles. In this episode, what we're doing is we are going to go over some salvation verses. Okay, we're going to be talking out of Romans chapter 10. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go over an in-depth study of salvation and how to get saved and what that means and what it does not mean. Okay, so this is not a oversimplified, hey, this is how you get saved. This is more of a as deep as you can get type teaching on salvation and an example of so I think I think you're gonna like it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna read out of uh, Romans, and I'm gonna take a lot of information out of several different um, commentaries. And uh, one of my favorite commentaries is from Peter Ruckman. He has a Bible believers commentary, and so I'm gonna read through some stuff and talk to you about it and try to explain it. Okay. So we're going to start with Romans chapter 10, okay, in verse 8. And basically this is um, Paul talking here, and this is how he's discussing, discussing this different righteousness, okay? So here we go. Verse 8 says, But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And then verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I know that was a lot to uh, listen to there, but you can find that, of course, in Romans chapter 10, verse 8 through 13. So, basically, what we're saying here by reading this is, Um, if you're going to get saved, you're going to have to believe the word of faith, which we preach. And that is in verse eight. Okay. So verse eight says, well, I won't reread it, but you can read it. But so basically in verse eight, the word of faith, which we preach is what you're going to have to believe to get saved. So moreover, basically what it's telling you here is the word isn't very far off. You're not going to have to really go out and try to seek it because the scripture says the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now, nigh means near. So you could say it, the word is near in your mouth and in your heart. Okay. So basically, if a person wants to know what the Lord says, he can have access to it at any time. And if a person wants to be saved, The word of faith, back from verse 8, is right at the two places that enable a person to trust Christ, the heart and the mouth. Okay? 
So you've got it just right there on your heart and with your mouth is all it takes. Okay? So basically, God will make sure that any person who really wants to know how to be saved will be able to get saved by getting the word. So now, having said that, um, if you're going to talk to somebody about salvation and you're going to use this Romans um you know, chapter 10, you're going to need to explain to them um, verses 9, 10, and 13. Okay, and that, those verses are where you tell the sinner exactly how they have to be saved. Now, a man is saved, according to the Bible, when he believes the gospel. Okay, now the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Now, we can go to that real quick, and I'll read that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-4. So it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first all of that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's what you got to believe that right there. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, um, basically, when you read Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13, Paul is explaining to you how to believe the gospel and you can find the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So, um, many different gospel tracts that I have read and that you may see um, actually quotes 1 John 1, 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, what they do there in that particular verse is they equate the confession of sins portion there mentioned in that verse with the repentance that should occur when a sinner trusts Christ as his Savior. So, yes, a man must realize that he is a sinner, okay, and he is under the judgment of God. You've got to realize that. And there's no way that a man can trust Christ without admitting that that is the case, okay? But, when a man gets saved, he does not need to confess every sin that he has committed to get saved. Now, I have heard this before, and I've heard other people talk about it. They say that you have to confess every single sin you've ever done in order to be forgiven. And what you can do is you can fall back on this 1 John 1, 9 and say, see, it says right here, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And that's the point I'm talking about here is this particular verse in 1 John 1, 9 is not your initial salvation they're talking about. So what I'm trying to say here is that repentance before salvation is a turning from a state of being or it's turning from what you're doing, okay? So before salvation, before you get saved, you're a sinner under the wrath of God. When you get saved... You turn from that state of that state of sin that you were in to receive Jesus Christ. And you then, once you receive Jesus Christ because you got saved, then you become a son of God. 
Now, after you're saved, you are basically obligated to do works meet for repentance. And you can find that in Acts 26, 20. But what that means is after salvation, you should live for Jesus Christ and you should show others that you have repented and have been saved. That's how you need to live. Okay. Confessions of sins is different, however. So after salvation, when you sin, you should still repent. So you've been saved and you've committed a sin because even after you're saved, you are still a sinner and you will still sin. Okay. So after you've been saved, when you sin, you should still repent. So repentance after salvation is different from repentance before salvation. So technically speaking here, after you're saved, okay, so after salvation, if you're saved, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint who commits sin. Okay, there's a difference. As a saint, you do not repent to receive Christ because you've already received Christ. You are already in Christ and you're no longer under the wrath of God if you're saved. So after salvation, you turn from your sin, okay, and you turn to the service of Jesus Christ. But having sinned, you have also broken your fellowship with God. See? So to restore the fellowship, you must go to the Lord and tell him exactly what you've done that was wrong. The individual acts. So you have to be able to recognize them. That's where that first John 1 9 comes in saying, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, you have to confess your sins individually once you're saved. Because, you know, prior to being saved, I mean, you, and you go get saved, you probably can't even remember all your sins. But after you're saved, then you're going to start knowing what you've done wrong and you're starting over. Then you're going to have to start listing those sins out. Okay. So you're going to have to tell, you're going to tell him what you've done wrong in prayer, the individual acts. So basically you're not repenting of being in sin because no saved person lives in sin. A saved person lives in Christ. You are repenting of committing sin. Okay. Um, and to do that, you have to be able to confess it. You have to confess it to God what the sin was. So again, 1 John 1, nine has nothing to do with salvation at all. Uh, and you should not use it to get a sinner to repent because later down the road, it's only going to confuse the person when he gets saved and then finds out that he still must confess his sins. Okay. Now, having said that, before we go any further, we'll also talk about this um, other matter here. And basically what it is, is a lost man can confess his sins to God. Okay. A lost man, a non-saved man can confess sins to God or even Jesus Christ all he wants. And he's still going to go to hell. Okay. If you're not saved, you can confess your sins all day long and it does not do you any good.
So in the Bible here, you have Judas, for example. Judas, in Matthew 27, 3 through 5, um, he confessed his sins. Um, you read about Judas here right before he hung himself, and he got caught, and he threw the, threw the silver down. And he says in 27, 4, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? They don't care. And so he threw his, he threw his silver down in the temple, departed, and went and hanged himself. So he confessed his sin right there, but he still went to hell. And we have another one here that did the same thing, old Balaam. Remember, Balaam was riding his donkey, and he was uh, disobeying the Lord. And, of course, come to find out, he was, uh, you know, whatever all the stuff he did, it was crazy. But uh, here in Numbers 22, verse 34, it says, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I will get get me back again. So he, he confesses he sinned right there. Didn't do him any good. Um, the Bible talks all about the ways of Balaam later on. He's even mentioned uh, in uh, Revelation. So he's in hell. So he confessed his sin right there and didn't do him licking bit of good, did it? Also, we have here um, Pharaoh. Back in Exodus, yes, Exodus um, chapter 10, verse 16. Um, Pharaoh says, The Pharaoh, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. And, you know, he he prays for forgiveness um, to Moses, but he wasn't a saved man, so it didn't do him any good. Um, He's burning in hell right now. So basically, every one of them that I just listed there, every one of them confessed that he was a sinner, um, and he confessed his sin. Um, And every one of them ended up in hell after he did it. So confession of sins is not salvation. Now, on a side note here, um, when it comes to confessing your sins, you know, confessing your sins to a priest won't save you either. Okay? You have to be saved first, and then you have to confess your sins to Jesus, okay? But first, you have to be actually saved before any of that will even work for you. So, um, basically, of course, other people have these different problems. I mean, the same that same problem is rampant, for example. You can ask somebody if they're saved, and they can say, yes, yes, I'm saved, um, I ask the good Lord to forgive my sins every night. So, yeah, I'm saved. Well, if you're not saved, but you're asking the Lord to forgive your sins, and that's what you're counting on to get you to heaven, you're lost. Okay. Um, just confessing your sins won't save you. So, basically, anything short of a man turning to Jesus Christ for salvation and confessing him as Lord and Savior is not salvation. Okay, anything less than that is not salvation. Now, confessing your sins may be about halfway there, but it still falls short. The Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. So, confessing your sins has nothing to do with it, about getting saved. Okay, the next thing to getting saved after that is Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now, the reason for that is the resurrection makes the atonement 
um, effective to a sinner. Okay, so to bring about a change, this resurrection makes the atonement effective to us. It brings a change into our lives. So if all Christ did was die for sin, then you couldn't apply that atonement to yourself. Paul said, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So without the resurrection, the best that you could hope for would be Abraham's bosom, back there where Lazarus was at. Um, You'd never make it to heaven. Okay. Now, the reason for that is that is if Christ had not risen from the dead, then he would not have been or he would have been proved to be a man like any other man. Um, So if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then you could not be justified completely before God. So without the resurrection, you could lose whatever salvation you had gotten. If there was no resurrection, then you would have no new man. You could not be born again. So, um, as far as being saved, then, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If a man confesses Jesus Christ with his mouth and believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his heart, the promise is, thou shalt be saved. That is how you believe the gospel. That's all there is to it. Now, you may ask, well, how do you believe in your heart? What is a heart belief? Well, um, it says in verse 10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So how can you tell that you're believing with your heart and just not your head? Well, you can tell you're believing with your heart when you rely on something, when you trust it, you lean on it. That is a heart belief. So a person can agree that all the facts of the gospel are true in the Bible. He can agree with everything in the Bible is true. Um, He can repeat with complete sincerity um, the Apostles' Creed, for example. Um, He can can do that every Sunday and go to church every Sunday and still wind up in hell. You see, because belief of the head is knowing about Christ— but belief of the heart is trusting in Christ. Um, you're relying on Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. That is a heart belief. And I have personally talked to people um, in the past, and, and I, I've talked to many people this way. They're like, I believe in God. You know, I believe in Jesus. And it's like, well, okay. Well, so do the devils. The devil believes in God and Jesus. Does that mean they're going to heaven? No. I mean, you can believe that the Bible's real. So I believe the Bible's true. That isn't going to get you to heaven. I mean, you actually have to do what it says here. You are going to have to confess Jesus Christ with your mouth and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your heart. You're going to have to believe it. You're going to have to trust it. You're going to have to lean on it. You're going to have to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't just say you believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, the devils do that. You've got to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, they don't do that. So a really good question to ask somebody would be, what are you relying on to keep you out of hell? If you ask that question, you're going to get down to the nitty-gritty and find out the true answer. 
So you ask somebody, um, what are you relying on to keep yourself out of hell? Because you see, that's a lot different um, than asking somebody, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Because an unsaved person can say that he believes in Jesus Christ, and he probably really does. And he's still relying on his good works to get him to heaven. So now back to um, Romans 10, verse 10 here. It says, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Um, And that's what it means. So you go beyond the bare facts of the gospel and you make them yours personally. Okay. So that you are totally relying on what Jesus Christ did for you to get to heaven. And you're relying on Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Also, in verse 10, it says, And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, in Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, basically, the heart and the mouth spiritually are connected. You can Basically, what, what they're saying here is you talk about the things that you love. So, if you really love Jesus, you're going to be talking about him. Okay, that's just a given right there. Um, Jesus continued on and said in Matthew twelve thirty five to say, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. So now there are two other things that tend to come up at this point. And the first is the place of prayer in salvation. Okay, it's obvious that just the mere act of praying itself saves no one. Okay, it doesn't save you. So in Luke 18, 10 through 14, okay, two men go to pray at the temple, and the story ends with one man saved and the other man's lost. Um, Cornelius prayed on a regular basis, according to Acts, Acts um, 10, 2. And God, God honored his prayers in 10, 4, Acts 10, 4, but Cornelius did not get saved until he heard Peter preach. That was in Acts 10, 34, and he believed on Christ, okay? So God did hear his prayers and honored his prayers, but he still wasn't saved. So he still would have went to hell. So prayer in, a, in and of itself does not save a person. Now, another thing here is that I have heard um, Bible-believing Christians say, I've heard it here recently, actually, is they say that if a man prays to get saved, or more specifically prays, prays the sinner's prayer, um, then he's still lost. He never got saved. And the idea behind this is that they're saying prayer is a work. And so if you actually physically pray, you're having to do something. And so that would justify itself as a work. And since man isn't saved by works, like it says in Ephesians 2.8, what they're trying to say is that a person just has to assent to the fact that Christ died for him and thank God for having already forgiven his sins. He doesn't actually have to pray for forgiveness or pray to God. And, of course, I personally think there's all all kinds of things wrong with that teaching um, because, you know, not the least of which is that giving thanks to God for having already saved you is a prayer. So giving thanks to God is praying. So 
a prayer is a prayer whether you ask God to save you or you thank God for saving you. So if a prayer can't save you because it's a work, then don't thank God for saving you. You'd you'd be mixing works with your faith, then you wouldn't be saved. So that to me is complete nonsense right there. In my opinion, that kind of doctrine right there basically destroys um, the assurance that a Christian should have about his salvation. I mean, think about it. He thought he was saved before because he because he trusted in Christ, but now a preacher has convinced him that he um, had trusted in Christ the wrong way by praying. Okay, so then questions start to flood this person's mind. It's like, well, what if I didn't believe enough? What if I didn't repent enough? What if I doubt my salvation even just a little? So I've seen people like that literally get saved three and four times because they don't think it took the first time. So they're like, well, maybe I didn't pray quite right enough. Maybe I didn't ask God quite clearly enough. you know. And so they, they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again. So if you try to look at this matter from a spiritual point of view, and also from a practical point of view, um, basically, from what I understand, there's nothing in the scriptures um, that says you have to pray to get saved. Um, there's no evidence that the Ethiopian eunuch prayed to get saved, even though he did confess with his mouth. That's in Acts 8.37. As far as we know, Cornelius and his household did not pray to get saved. That's in Acts 10.43. At the same time, though, I don't know how you could say it's wrong to pray to get saved. I mean, the so-called sinner's prayer um, finds its origin in Luke 18, uh, verse 13, and in a parable told by Jesus Christ. The publican who prayed that prayer went home justified, according to Luke 18. Um, What made the prayer effective to the publican was um, the person to whom he addressed the prayer. Um, The spirit in which he prayed, humble repentance, and that for which he prayed, God's mercy to a sinner, um, to that prayer Christians have added, and save me for Jesus' sake, which fulfills Romans 10. So it looks to me like if any sinner prays that prayer or a similar one, expressing the belief he has in his heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection, do you really think that the Lord is going to reject that as an act of faith in Jesus Christ um, expressed through prayer after he says himself, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out? That's in John 6, by the way. So prayer, now, I mean, if prayer is a form of calling upon on the name of the Lord, which I believe that it certainly is, So prayer is a form of calling on the name of the Lord. And a man or a person confesses his faith in Jesus Christ to God in prayer, then he is saved. Um, You may not have to do it just that way, but if you do, um, you're not working your way to heaven. Okay, After all, it's not the prayer that actually saves you anyway. Um, It's Jesus Christ that saves you. Um, but Jesus Christ saves a sinner when the sinner places his faith in Jesus. Um, 
And the same Lord who told the sinner to believe also told him to confess him with the mouth and call upon his name. I mean, you can do both of those things in a prayer. Now, me personally, I believe that it's good for a sinner to pray when he gets saved. I believe that when a person um, prays to get saved, um, that basically gives that person a tangible time to which um, they can point and say, that's the time and place where I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I was saved. When you did it, that's when you did it. And it can strengthen a Christian's assurance that they did it and when they did it. So another question that I've heard is, um, what if a person does not confess Christ when they get saved? Right at the moment they get saved, what if they don't confess Christ? Well, um, I believe what you have here is a general rule, okay? Um, and we've got a verse here that says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So, obviously, in that particular passage, salvation is conditioned on belief. Um, you have to believe, okay, to be saved but not belief and baptism. Um, so a man can be saved by the belief in the gospel, and then as a general rule, you get baptized. Okay? So you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but usually people who get saved as a general rule get baptized. So generally speaking... When a person receives Christ into their heart, it will come out of their mouth. They will profess it. They will profess Christ. Of course, there are examples in the Bible where this didn't happen, so this is not a foolproof deal. For example, in John 12, 42, there was a bunch of these chief rulers that believed on Christ. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Christ, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So they believed, they believed on Christ, but they couldn't really say anything out loud because all these other Pharisees would have kicked them to the curb. So later on, when Jesus Christ addressed these men, he addressed their belief, not their lack of confession. He made it very clear that it was their belief that saved them. So they believed in their heart, but they never said it with their mouths, but they were still saved. So they kept their big mouths shut, okay? Were they cowards? Yes. You know, did they love the wrong thing? Yes. Were they lost? No. They were saved. So that's that's one example there of somebody or several people who believed in their heart but did not confess with their mouth. So, again, generally speaking, a saved person will confess Jesus Christ to others. But, just as I talked about earlier there on prayer, um, I don't believe there's any set way that you do it. So, basically, for example, a baby. This is, this is an example. When a baby's hungry, they cry, and you know something's wrong. Now, the baby may not cry the exact same way every single time. Every single baby may not cry the exact same way. And every cry um, may not sound the same for hunger. So you like listen to the cry and go, oh, that's not a hunger cry. That's a something else cry. No, just crying could mean hungry. 
So that's where we come to the same thing like a person. So you've got a sinner, you know, they've made up their mind that they need to get saved. And so they cry out. So they call upon the name of the Lord. Um, and they may do it differently. There's not an exact way you have to do it. It could be through prayer or, you know, or not, I guess. You could, you could do it either way. There's no exact set way. You have to believe it in your heart. So I believe that if a person, you know, calls upon the name of the Lord in their house, whatever, nobody knows it, and this saved sinner, they never walk, walk an aisle in a church, um, they never get baptized, they never join a church, um, I think in the future sometime the Lord will put him in a situation where at some point they will speak up and confess Jesus Christ. They will tell somebody they're saved, and they'll, they'll confess Jesus Christ. So I think that about wraps it up. I sure hope that helps somebody. I hope you learned something. Um, basically, what it boils down to, um, and, and I'll say this again, you know, if a person, all you need to do is confess Jesus Christ with your mouth, and you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with your heart and the bomb, the Bible promises that thou shalt be saved. Um, so that is how you believe the gospel. That's all there is to it. Um, I sure hope this helps somebody. Um, if it did, if it, if it helps you, if you think it's going to help somebody, if you think it's, um, correct, um, please share it, like it, share it or whatever on these sites. Um, if you have any questions or comments, give us an email, truthseekers2012 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.